Our reading now is from Psalm 90, uh, which is pretty well halfway exactly through the Bible. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you were or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Praise be to God. Thank you, uh, Russell, for reading God's word to us this morning. Let's, uh, let's come to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the word that has been read. We ask that you help us understand this word and apply it to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, happy new year to you. Thank you. Thank you for the response. Very good. <laughs> uh, I see the same family actually back from their trip in Europe. Welcome back to the nice warm weather here in Australia, in Melbourne. Well, Happy New Year. So, um, well, think about it. The New Year is already six, seven days old now. And at the beginning of every New Year, we greet each other with these familiar words, Happy New Year. It got me thinking about what do we actually mean when we say Happy New Year. What does it actually mean? What, what, are, what, what are we trying to communicate with these words, Happy New Year? I assume by wishing a person a happy new year, we are wishing the person a happy life. I assume that that's what we are wishing. I assume that when we wish a person a happy new year, we are saying to that person, well, you know that this year we hope it will be a great year, you won't have any troubles in your life, everything will be smoothly flowing in your life. We wish a person goodwill when we say happy new year. Imagine, imagine for a moment, if someone came up to you, and said, well, I want to wish you a very unhappy New Year. What would you do in that scenario? Right? You'd be thinking, man, what of a person are you? 
Now, no one wants an unhappy year, do we? Generally speaking, we all want to have a great year. Is that correct? Right? Generally speaking. And by that, I mean a year that uh, you'll be good with your health, there'll be no problems in your life, you'll be smooth sailing through everything in life, your health will be good, you'll be having finances uh, to provide for your needs, and generally speaking, for our own well-being. We all want to have a happy year. And every new year, we kind of reflect the year that has gone by, what it has been. I don't know about you, but as for myself, this has been my practice every, at the end of every year and the beginning of every new year, to sit back a bit in my office, uh, no one's in the place, to look back, reflect upon the year that has gone by, and to look ahead to the new year that God has in store for my life, and uh, so I asked the Lord, well, Lord, what would you want me to do in this year, 2018? What is your plan and purposes? And so every new year, we don't know what the new year, 2018, has in store for you or for me, do we? We may generally have an idea what our plans are, but really, we don't know. Right? And so it's a time to reflect. And as people, as, uh, as we live in this world, we live by the clock as well, right? Right now, you're not supposed to look at your watch. Don't do that. Okay. Um, Benjamin Franklin said, do not squander time, for it is the stuff life is made of. It seems that we always fight the clock, don't we? Or maybe you don't. We may stay up late, then sleep late as possible, and then rush frantically to school or to work or gulping down an unhealthy breakfast as we go into our car, applying our makeup as you're in the car, if you're stopped at traffic lights, or using a shaver quickly to shave uh, at the traffic lights, and so life goes on. And so we are so busy that we have to rush, rush, rush every time. When we leave the door at the home, come on, let's get everything going. We've got to pack up everything. We've got to leave, 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 leave. We are rushing all the time. And so time is really valuable. Right? Time is valuable. How valuable is an hour to you? Perhaps not so much. But ask a business person whose flight was delayed an hour and so missed an important business deal. Think about that. What would that mean to that person? How much is one minute valuable to you? Is one minute valuable to you? Ask the person who had a heart attack in the restaurant and someone happened to be sitting at the next table who knew how to administer CPR and CPR saved that person's life, that one minute. How valuable is a second? Man, a second? Is it really valuable? Ask the person who hesitated for a second before showing his or her car to avoid the oncoming car in that split second. How important is that? Now, what about a fraction of a second? Is that really important? You might say, no, no, no way. Well, ask the Olympian, Olympic swimmer who missed qualifying by six-tenths of a second. <laughs> right? Think about that. So time really is valuable. Time is a commodity that we have and we live within that framework of time. And so the question for us this morning is, how can I make each day count? How can I e make each day count in 2018? So friends, 
that's the thing that we want to look at this morning. And I want to focus our thoughts today on Psalm 90 and verse 12. Psalm 90 and verse 12, uh, which reads this. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now, before I look at this psalm, I, uh, I, I just want to... Uh, to mention to you this morning, I'd like to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 90 because as we look at Psalm 12, we're also going to look at sections of this psalm that will help us to understand Psalm 90 and verse 12 in its context. Well, Psalm 90 was written by Moses. Now, there are some scholars who say, well, Moses didn't write uh, this psalm. I'm not going to get into that debate, Right? It's a psalm, I believe, that was written by Moses. The language in the psalm is similar to the Old Testament books of the Pentateuch. Therefore, Psalm 90 is the oldest of all the psalms. And so if Moses is the author of this psalm, which I believe he is, then we need to understand this psalm in the context of Numbers chapter 20. And in Numbers chapter 20, we have some very sad situations taking place in the life of Moses. For example, Moses' sister Miriam had died. There was tragedy there. His brother Aaron has died as well. And then we have the sin of Moses striking the rock that kept him from entering the promised land. And further, we see in the psalm as well, it is, there is, I think, uh, some kind of reference in the background to God leading his people through the wilderness. And the tragedy of that, it wasn't a great journey. There was death, there was despair, there was disappointment. And so when we put these things together, we get the picture that this psalm is a very reflective psalm. It is a psalm that deals with the issues of life. And it is a psalm that speaks about and contrasts who God is and who we are. Right? You, look at the psalm. For example, it says, You return men to dust. A thousand years is like a day. And so in some sense, you might say this psalm is quite a, a dis. A, a, a discouraging psalm. But the psalm is also one that speaks of joy and gladness. The prayer is that God would satisfy his people with love so that we can rejoice and be glad. And the psalm contrasts and it makes the, the, the contrast between the eternity of God and the shortness of life. And so how then are we to live in the reality of this contrast. The eternity of God. That God is eternal. But we are not. <laughs> right. And so we have this, this dilemma. That is in this psalm. And so there are two things. That we look at this morning. And that is why should we number our days. And how should we live out our days. <laughs> How should we live out our days and why should we number our days? You see, the Hebrew construction here is very interesting. The verse 12 begins with the words, to number our days. 
This psalm, this phrase picks up the theme of time that is so pervasive in this psalm. It's a reflection of time that leads us to see how weak we are and how short our lives are. Isn't that interesting that we are told to number our days? When someone asks you, well, we don't really go and ask people their age, do we? It's a, it's a rude thing to ask a lady how old you are. I generally say, well, what's the age bracket? That's a good way. Right? Never go up to a person and say, what's the age? In our culture in Sri Lanka, you'd never do that to a lady. No way. I don't know how it operates here. I'm sure it's the same. Yeah. But if you were to ask somebody, how old are you? They will say, well, I'm 20 years old, 21 years old. After 50, you say, I, I don't give my age, so don't worry about that. But we don't ne never say, well, I am, uh, if you live, say, 70 years, I am 25,550 days old or something, if you do the maths, right? You don't say that, do we? We don't, we don't go by days, do we? We go by years, right? But it's interesting, the psalmist is saying, to teach us to number our days. And why is it a day? You know, rem I remember a song that uh, I learned when I first became a Christian, and I've not heard this year, one day at a time. Do you know that? It's been something like, one day at a time. Lord Jesus, you know that one? That's all I'm asking of you, right? So help me to, yeah, there it goes. So let me pose the question, how many days have you lived so far? How many days? Perhaps an interesting exercise for you to do. And so the Bible tells us, Psalm is, is saying here, God's word is telling us, teach us to number our days. And why should we number our days? The Psalm itself gives us the clue as to why we should number our days. Look at verses 9 and 10 here in this Psalm. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble, they are soon gone and we fly away. So maybe 70, 80, some people will live for 100, some people will live less than 70, less than 80. It's very possible that people will live longer in the future. But the fact is, Human life is short, verses 3 and 4. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. And so we see this here that the contrast is made with the shortness of life and who God is. Look at verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So that's the starting point, friends. God does not have a date, a beginning date. He was, he is, and always will be. He is God. He is sovereign. He is eternal. He is the one who will always be. But for us, it is not the case. God is self-sustaining. He is eternal. He is self-existing. He exists for himself and is totally independent. That is who God is. And, and with amazing simplicity, we read these words in the opening lines of the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this God, this amazing God, in his providence, has also created mankind. And so we read this. 
uh, which uh, I didn't speak to Russell when he prayed the quote from Psalm 139. He must have had some kind of insight into my sermon because <laughs> he did uh, speak about Psalm 139, right? And Psalm 139 is a tremendous psalm. It's a psalm that tells us who our God is and who he has made. Look, look what he says there. For you, the psalmist says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that too well. And then he goes on, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Get that, friends. You see, when God looks at our lives, if it is 25,550 days, he'll be counting backwards. 25,550, 25,549, and be going backwards and working its way back because our days are in his book. That's the wonderful thing of who our God is. Our life is precious. Our life is in his hands. And so it is this God who has made us. And every day then becomes a gift from him. Because he has put us together and knit us together and made us together and woven us together. And our days and our lives are in his hands. What a wonderful, tremendous comfort and assurance that is. I remember when I first came to Australia in 1986... I visited some uh, a Sri Lankan family, and I noticed in the afternoons I, I stayed in this particular home, there was a program on TV, I'd never watched it, but I picked up what was going on for a moment. It was called Days of Our Lives or something like that. Can you remember that? Right. I, I have no idea what the program was, but I just remember the title, Days of Our Lives. I'm not sure whether it's still on, probably not. Right. But I, I presume it was a funny program, because uh, people enjoyed watching that. Days of our lives. What are the days of our lives in the sight of God? How do we live this life? You see, Psalm 90, uh, verses 3 to 6, you turn people back to dust. Return to dust, you mortals, a thousand years. You see, friends, in contrast with the eternity of God, we see the weakness of mankind. Right? From God's perspective, a thousand years of human history is a mere day. Even if we lived a thousand years, just like Methuselah lived, almost lived, the point is that with God, it is like a day. It is like a watch in the night. Basically, God exists in the realm that is not bound by time or space. God does not wear a Rolex or Timex watch. He doesn't need that. right? He does not have a day timer or a palm pilot. He does not need it. He's the creator of time. And he's, the, he's, he's greater than time. And so speaking of time, I just did a quick Google search and uh, looked at watches, how expensive watches are. Did you know that there are watches worth millions of dollars? I never knew that. Yeah, there's one watch. I won't give you all the names here, but I just, it's, it's, uh, one watch is worth 2.4 million. There's a watch called the Ablot Big Bang, which is worth 5 million. There's another watch that's called the Patak Philippe Caliber, 89, worth 11 million. Right? Then there's the other one that's called the Patak Philippe Super Complication Pocket Watch that's worth, have a guess, 
20, did you buy one, Jenny? <laughs> you want to buy one? <laughs> 24 million, right? And get this, the Coppard 2001 carat watch worth 25 million. That's a great Christmas gift for you to put on your list for this year, friends. Right? 25 million. I was thinking, like, I would be scared stiff to buy a watch like that. Irrespective of the prices of these watches, I was sitting there thinking, well, at the end of the day, it's just a watch. It tells us the time. And, uh, and time keeps moving on, irrespective of whatever watch you wear. Right? Now, I'm not saying don't wear great watches. Please, if you want to wear a $24 million watch, please, by all means, do so. I'm quite happy with this uh, basic one here, right? And speaking of watches, I'll say this quick joke to you. There was a, a grandfather who took his uh, grandson to church. And uh, the grandson looked at the numbers on the board and said, Grandpa, what's those numbers? He said, oh, those numbers are the hymn numbers that they, uh, they're going to sing from. And then came the minister onto the pulpit. And the minister, and so the, the, the grandfather said, here, see, see, grandson, that's the minister. He's up here. And then the minister, as they normally do, some do, he took the watch from his wrist and put it on the on the lectern and asked, and so the grandson said, no, grandpa, what does that mean? The grandpa looked at the grandson and said, it means nothing, son. It means nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, anyways, so it's something else. So we all live, we, we, we live in the, in the context and the framework of time, don't we? A fleeting moment as we close our eyes in the sleep of death. It is depressing. Notice that we are like, like grass. You see, in the desert condition, the early morning dews caused more grass to grow. But when the noon sun blazed, it withered and perished. And so it is with mankind. We are like grass living constantly under the sentence of death. And so we might ask ourselves the question, why can't we live forever? Why can't we live forever on earth? You see, friends, look at Psalm 90, verses 7 to 11. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verses 8 and 9, you have set our iniquities before you. What a, what a reminder that is, friends, that we have turned our backs on God. And death is the consequence of that. The consequence of God's wrath is anger against our sin. And so Paul says this in, in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are just a moment fleeting away from this world. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, I, I went to uh, St. Vincent's Hospital. I parked my car there, I put the money into the parking meter just in case I get caught there and I stood outside and I was observing what was going on. I thought this is just I want to observe what's going on. So I saw patients coming in and out and thinking yeah troubles, you know, people have so much pain and sadness and sorrow and then while I was standing there I saw some lovely cars going past and so that's nice and then came another car. It was a ute, a grey one and it was built in such a way the back had a very big hump uh, built on it as, as the hood. It was a long one. And then I looked at that and it turned into the hospital. And then it dawned on me that it's the mortuary 
uh, hearse that's come in. And I stood there for a moment and thought, this is amazing what's going on. There's life, it's busy, people coming in and out. And in the midst of that, there's this death car that's going in. And it dawned on me what life is all about, isn't it? And I sat yesterday in my office, no one was around, and I put Jim Reeves, I'll fly away. You know that one? So go and Google it, right? I'll fly away, Lord. I'll fly away. Uh, when I'm gone, I'll fly away. Hallelujah. Into your presence. And that's life. Death will come our way. After a while, we fly away into the presence of the Lord if we trust in Jesus. Isaac, what's new? But it was when he, uh, when he penned those wonderful words, Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Isaac, what's new, that as Christians who trusted in Jesus, we have an eternal home in heaven, and death is not the end. And so, friends, then we ask ourselves the question, how should we live out our days? How should we live these days? Number in our days is more than some mathematical calculation. It is living so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what is this wisdom? How do we gain a heart of wisdom? You see, friends, this wisdom is not equivalent to knowledge of facts. God, in his common grace, has endowed mankind with tremendous wisdom and ability, has he not? To design things, to make things, to manufacture things. Amazing intellect that God has given to mankind. See, wisdom is the right application of knowledge in any field. Whatever skills and knowledge you acquire, you apply that to the task that you are doing. For example, a very basic one, if you are learning to drive, Right? Once you learn this, the, the, the basics of driving, when you take the car out, you're applying that knowledge and that skill into your driving, right? And so wisdom is application of knowledge. But what we have here is that the biblical wisdom that we are talking of here, a heart of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The surest way to become wise is to pursue the knowledge of who God is. You see, we can have all the knowledge and live an unwise life. We can have all the knowledge that we need and yet not know the God to whom we must one day be accountable to. We can have all the knowledge in the world and yet not apply the godly wisdom in the decisions we make in our day-to-day -day living. And so to gain a heart of wisdom is to know who God is and knowing what he has revealed to us in his word and who he is, his character, his majesty, his love, his grace, his kindness, his goodness, his love for you, his grace to you, his, his amazing kindness to you. It is knowing this God. That's the wisdom that we see here. Wisdom will lead us to ask questions like, who am I? Have you asked yourself the question? <laughs> Have you come to an answer? <laughs> Have you tried to understand who you are? I think, I think it's very complex. Really. I mean, sometimes I have trouble trying to understand who I am myself. Incredible. It's complex. Why am I here? In 2018, on this 7th January 2018. <laughs> What is the purpose of my existence? What can I know about 
who God is and why he has created me and put me here in this world. What can I do to live a wise life under God in 2018? And so, friends, wisdom is as we come to know this God, he becomes the foundation for wisdom. And wisdom becomes firmer in our lives and we grow in our ability to discern things according to his revealed truth. Wisdom is an approach to life understanding that it belongs to the one who made us. So, life is exhilarating. Life is complex. Life is wonderful. Life is a gift from God. And every day we get up, we say, God, I thank you that you have given me another day. Just this morning, one of the ladies in this church said to me as they were coming in, I'm so glad I was able to put my right foot forward, Chris, this morning. The people knew this sermon before I even preached this morning. It's not amazing. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? Wisdom is saying, God, you have been my dwelling place. Have a look at the psalm, verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place before all generations. Before the mountains are born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So wisdom is saying, you are my dwelling place. I put my life in your hands. You are everything to me. Wisdom is saying, I want to live under the shadow of your grace. Wisdom is saying, I want to live in you, God, through Jesus Christ, your son. Wisdom is saying, I want to live every day by the power of your spirit for the glory of God. Wisdom will say, I want to leave my job and go into do work in the Arab world and get $33,000 for that. You see what I'm saying? See, the life is a dwelling in this God. And so 2018, friend, let me encourage you this morning to dwell in this God, to trust in this God, to know this God. And look at how the psalmist puts this all beautifully in verses 13 and forwards. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning. With your steadfast love. Verse 14. And may we, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And as for many years as we have seen evil. Make us glad. Satisfy us in the morning, Lord. Satisfy us with your steadfast love. Help us to rejoice and be glad. And so, friends, this morning, I pray that God will satisfy your life. That you will dwell in him. That you will find in him the wisdom to live each day and to make your life count for him. <laughs> what a thing that is when God does that in a person's life. When Jesus comes in to a person's life, Jesus said this in, in the John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so we live this life in the fullness of Jesus. And that is living wisely. That is counting our days. That is numbering our days. That is living under the grace of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Because in such a life, then like Paul says... We can say, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best 
use of the time because the days are evil. How are you living your life today? How do you, how do we make each day count? By living realistically knowing that life is short but God is everlasting. By living knowing that we are satisfied in and by God himself. By living knowing as the Proverbs says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. May God direct your paths. May God help us to make each day count for him. For our time is in his hands. And they are always safe in the hands of the one that we seek and dwell in. Amen. Let's pray.